Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall, the Mid-Atlantic Scouting Director for PBR. He's Matt Payne, our North Carolina Director of Scouting. We've got a ton of action to go over, including state champions, scout days, Team Carolina trials, uh, the MPI, and much, much more. So, Matt, let's jump right into it. How you doing, buddy? Let's do it. Yeah, it's a packed week. I know, um, you know, we spent... Saturday and Sunday trying to track and follow the state championships. Uh, we're a little bit limited in what we're allowed to do with the NCH SAA. They, they don't they don't like us necessarily being there and, and sending out videos and pictures. And they have people to do that, and I get that. So we're, we're very rarely in attendance there just because we can't do what we do. Um, so we follow it, follow it from afar. And then meanwhile, we were running – we run five scout days over the weekend. So a lot of really good players. A lot of players through the weekend. Uh, good weekend to be out, good weather, and uh, obviously followed the state state championship series. We'd like to be there, but uh, you can only do so much. Yeah, yeah. Let's jump right into the state champions, and um, you know, we we crowned four over the weekend. Um, I think, if memory serves me correctly, only one went to a best of three. Um, we had three uh, two game sweeps, but our four A bracket uh, kind of lived up to the billing. And uh, Wake Forest, who we've kind of touted as uh, being the top team in the state for most of the year, uh, challenged by New Hanover, figured that was going to happen. <clears throat> and you and I had talked a lot about this T.C. Roberson Club, a club I saw play extensively at the USA National um, Invitational and really hold up well, played really well against some really high-end talent, um, but came away, you know, Owen, I think 0-4 on the weekend. Um, and you had been following them. Obviously, we're, we, we know several of their players are close to several of their players. And, you know, are we shocked by what happened? Absolutely not. But, Matt, uh, what T.C. Roberson wins the 4A. Your, your initial you know, reaction is that it was coming across on Saturday. Uh, I think we expected that to be a good series. Uh, I think the most surprising thing was game one, the 10-0 yep. five-inning blowout. Um, <laughs> You know, they expected three three close games. We got two close games and and one blowout. Uh, one thing I, I thought about in this was I saw that that TC Roberson traveled on Thursday for a Friday game, so they get there, get in a little bit of a routine. I don't know what Wake Forest did, so I don't yeah. know. You know, you get in there, get used to it. They worked out at Elon how much that played a role in the series, but uh, you know, the the thing the four A lived up to it. Uh, you know, Wake Forest is so talented, but, uh, you know, winning battle with Corinth, three games, you know, you figure both teams are ready for a three-game series, and uh, it looked really exciting. You know, the, the thing I was most impressed with with the win on the Roberson side was game three. You know, you know, 10 nothing game one, they came out, they, they threw a haymaker, they knocked them out early. You're going to go to game two, you're expecting Wake Forest to – to play with some passion and really kind of jump out there. They're throwing uh, Cooper Allen, who really into the year had kind of taken over as their ace. He punches 10, you know, gets him to game three. And then right out of the shoot, Luke Stevenson hits a three run home run and, and Roberson's down 3 0, having just lost game two. And then to, to weather that storm, to get to their bullpen, I think they started, uh, let's see, game three stats are right here. They started uh, Micah Simpson who's been a kind of a star for them throughout these playoffs. Um, and, and he was okay. He, he, he got out of the first, he, you know, with three, the second, he kind of gets them rolling over, throws a zero up there, and they turned it over to Nick Parham, and Parham goes five. 
Uh, only punches two stuff, probably down a little bit, having played two games already, but just an ultimate competitor. And you start rolling a couple zeros, and the offense goes, well, okay, there's the number. We'll go chase that number. And three is not that daunting because we've scored three just about every game this year. You know, here it is. And then, you know, they run into a bat and they get into the bullpen and they make some things happen, and boom, we're state champions. Yeah, a, a couple things from that series. Cooper Allen, following him through his high school career, he wins the must-win game at Corinth, wins the must-win game in the state championship series, and just consistently swung the bat well through, throughout it all, too. He was, he was fun to watch. T.C. Roberson, I feel like every time I would check to see what was happening, they were turning a double play, which speaks yeah. to their defense. And then the contributions they got from different guys throughout the playoffs – and I think that's one big thing that, you know, they have some star power with the Parhams and Davidson. But uh, sophomore third baseman, Swangham, stepped up big, had a big playoffs for him. But just uh, you get that many different contributions, you, you got a chance to do something special. Absolutely. The 3A series featured Wes Henderson and J.H. Rose. J.H. Rose, another team that um, you and I have been high on all year. Wes Henderson is a club that we really liked – but we didn't know the depth of the of the talent. We didn't know the depth of the roster. We didn't know how they would – what's going to happen when they get in a three-game series? What's going to happen if they're if Truett Manuel is not available to throw? How are they going to win games in those instances? Their coaching staff, I thought, did a really good job throughout the year, you know, using Truett Manuel, having him available in the back end, developing front-end pitching. And then they get into this series, and they go game one, Truett Manuel. And you and I had talked about that. I thought they would hold Truett. You thought they'd start him. They start him. They win 6-2. Um, they, they beat one of the two aces for Rose and Andrew Wallen, um, who punched 10 in a game. But, you know, manual, complete game, seven innings pitch, five hits, two runs, none earned, two walks, 10 Ks. Um, talk a little bit about that decision and what you felt like that that kind of turned the tide of the of that championship series, have Emmanuel go out there and dominate game one. Yeah, I think I think going in we felt like Rose had had the more depth of the two teams. And you knew Manuel had to win a game, or we felt like he had to win his game for them to win. He's an ace. He does that. And then you, you look, if that series goes game three, it's got to favor Rose with their depth. And, you know, Wes Henderson goes in. Manuel gets a game one win. And then uh, game two, another guy, uh, they really like Nikki Stanko. She gives another outstanding standing performance. And, uh, you know, what it sounded like or looked like from that series was, you know, Rose has been there so much, you, you would have thought they would have been the – the calm, cool, collected team, and it, it sounded a little bit like Wes Henderson just just handled the environment a, a little bit better than Rose did. Well, I, I think Wes Henderson did a good job. They played they played downhill the entire series. <clears throat> they got leads early in games. They hand it to, to Truett and say, "Hey, we're going to keep chipping away at this thing, but there's your lead. Go get them." And then even in game two, you know, they run out Stanko, but they give him an early lead. You know, you know, here's a run early. Here's something to play with. We're we're gonna we have a chance to score some runs today you know, is that feeling when we get that early run. We don't have to play uphill. We don't have to fight and scratch to see how we're going to stay in this game. We're, we're out front. they got to chase us. You look at Stanko's line. Pitches into the seventh, seven hits, one run, one earned, two walks. Only punch one. So let's give a lot of credit to the Wes Henderson defense across the board as well. A lot of balls in play. A lot of, a lot of balls, a lot of things can happen when that many balls are in play. You think about – the way the game has evolved, we're either walking, we're striking out, or we're hitting home runs. You know, the, the three, you know, direct concepts that can happen to any one pitch without anybody else affecting the game. 
there was a lot of effect on that game. And the West Henderson defense really stood up. And then they turn it over to Grant Putnam in the, in the seventh. He gets the last two outs. Again, walked one. Rose is, is right there trying to make that run in the seventh, trying to put some pressure on him. But at that point, I think Wes Henderson believed, you know, this is ours. We're, we are the best team. We are supposed to do this. We've been playing downhill this whole time. Two to one, 18 to one. It doesn't matter. We're going to walk out of here with a win. And they did two to one in game, game two. That they did. And, you know, they, they went in with the confidence and outside looking in, it looked like Western North Carolina traveled really well for that series or both those series. It was neat to see on Twitter um, the two teams congratulating each other, <clears throat> you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Wes Henderson and T.C. Rovers, I'm sure they play in other sports. I'm, you know, they're not that far away from each other. Um, you know, I'm sure there is, there can be a rivalry there, but in this instance for, you know, our area, we're going to protect our own. It's us against the world. And I thought both schools kind of really bought into that. And, and, and I'm sure, um, just from a little bit, I saw the stands a little bit. We saw the game coverage, um, there, it wasn't, it wasn't a home field advantage the other way. You know, they had some comfort knowing they had people that are rooting for them. Yes, they did. It's you know, it's always cool seeing when they uh, arrive back at the school, getting the escorts in. Yeah, you know, and the, and the celeb, you know, the the community celebration. You know, it's something those kids will never forget. Move to the two A state championship series. It's a series <clears throat> where we had kind of built it: pitching and defense versus offense. South Granville hasn't given up a ton of runs all year. I think they're under two runs a game is what they've averaged giving up throughout the year. Burns is kind of a high-powered, explosive, chance-to-hang-a-six-spot-at-any-point-in-the-game type of offense. Um, you and I both favored Burns in this series. It's two teams. That, quite honestly, you and I, I don't think we expected to see at this point of the year, maybe two months ago. But in the last month, both these clubs have played very well. And then uh, Burns wins game one, 6-1, wins game two, 9-5. Uh, game one sounded like a little bit more of a route than it was. South Granville's up one nothing, and Burns hangs a six spot. Um, but that, that's the only two innings that the runs are scored. You know, game two is a little bit more of a slow burn where Burns, you know, no pun intended, Burns jumped out to a bigger lead, and then South Granville scored in their final four at bats. They just couldn't hang a crooked number in the final three. They hung ones, chances to hang up a, a couple other runs and make this thing a little closer. Um, but Burns, kind of what they've done all year, they, they've scored – plenty of runs and they've played good enough defense and pitched it good enough to be the best team in the last team surviving. Yes, they have. And the thing that jumps in that game two box score is I think Burns had seven guys with multi-hit games. Yeah. I think they pounded out 15 hits in the game. Up and down the lineup and you get that, you got a good chance to win. And, you know, in those tense moments when you have those runs on the board, it, it takes the load off that pitching staff. Yeah, it, it was interesting because of the way the offense played out. You know, and South Granville's got a lot of a, a lot of trust in the length of their bullpen. <clears throat> Cade Curran throws the first 3.2 in game one. Brendan Chamberlain comes in and keeps the game kind of right where it's at. That 6-1, even though 6-1 seems like a big lead, there's a lot of zeros being thrown. And so we go to game two, even to South Granville. Man, they only scored one inning. This high-powered offense, and everybody's talking about how many runs they have a chance to score. They only scored once. They just they hung a six spot. We go to game two, you know, and now uh, Taylor pitches into the fifth. McGowan, I'm sorry, that's Burns. Uh, Vatcher goes two. We're in a little bit. We turn it over to Kern. 
he he runs in some trouble. We turn it back over to Chamberlain, and it was just that depth couldn't get that zero they needed when the offense really got rolling and, and was pounding out all those hits. But you know, uh, don't take anything away from South Granville East Region champions. They fought to the end. I was very impressed reading back through, watching the plays, watching the game replay. You know that they scored two in the fourth, one in the. Or I'm sorry, two in, was it two in the third, one in the fourth, one in the fifth, one in the sixth, fourth, third, yeah, something like that. They scored in their last four innings, but they had those chances. They kept pressing and kept pressing because really, you know, at eight nothing, I think the game could have been over, um, and. And and we could have just crowned Burns and played out the end, but South Granville, to their credit, the Vikings continue to play. Yeah, battled out and great year for South Granville, and uh, look for both those teams to to ha- have it on their calendar to be back and and do it again. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the Burns lineup changes over. Obviously, um, they've got some youth there, but they've also got some of their better some of their hiring guys are. Are, are older, and so will the length of that lineup um, progress. But their coaching staff's done a good job of kind of developing, you know, team baseball. They're not relying on one guy to do one thing. You know, they they get me to the next hitter. Put a good at bat, get me to the next hitter. I, I'm a baseball player. I can play short. I can play third. I can play the outfield. I can pitch. And it gives, you know, a 2A school a lot of depth with their roster when they have that many guys that can do a number of different things. And so it's something we're all looking for. Matt, even at the college level, you think about some of the better clubs you've been around, you know, the interchangeability of guys, if there's an injury or a guy doesn't, you know, just isn't performing, we got to go to the next guy. How do we make this lineup the best? The ability to move a third baseman to first base, a first baseman to the outfield, bring in a new catcher, a new second baseman, and boom, we can see if we can't get that thing rolling again. Yeah, that versatility. And we hear it from college coaches too. Like, you know, if I, I like this kid because, you know, if he comes in, hits a little bit, he can, he can play left, he can play second, right. And those guys are so valuable to, to line up at the college and high school level. The 1A state championship featured Northmore and Uari Charter. Again, <clears throat> really tight game one. Um, you know, one of our one of our favorites, uh, Jake Connor throws for Uari Charter. Jake went with us to junior future games a couple years ago. Complete game, seven innings, eight hits, one run, two walks, four Ks. Matched pitch for pitch by Ethan Dunlap at Northmore, who takes the loss in a six-inning complete game, five hits, two runs, one walk, five Ks. Just a well-played game. And, um, you know, URI Charter, the Eagles find a way to kind of to kind of get ahead and get that lead, play downhill a little bit. Uh, Northmore actually led both of these games one nothing. URI Charter immediately answered the very next half. And we talk about – as a pitching staff with groups I've had is that stop inning. You know, if, if, if I get a side out in tennis, the, the chances are the very next, the best time to get another side out or break, I'm sorry, to break is that very next service game. So, you know, if we give up one in the first, we can get one back in the bottom of the first. If we give up one in the third, can we get one back in the bottom of the third? That chance to, to, you know, hold serve and, and, and break uh, showed up and mattered in this series, and Yari Charter took advantage. And you know, Yari Charter is an interesting. It's an interesting group. Talk, you know, looking at some of the stuff their coach was saying afterwards, they don't have a single player committed to play college baseball yet. <clears throat> they will, and they're young. Um, and and I, it's not a it's not a charter school that I think you know goes out and just raids as many places as they can to bring players in. You know, they're they're truly living by 
you know, what their school's mission is. And they're, they're bringing in the players that, uh, and the people that have qualified to be there for whatever reason, if it's a lottery or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but they're not actively recruiting and seeking out baseball players to fill out a roster. And so, you know, uh, kudos to them, especially as young as they are, they do have a chance to be competing for the 1A state title again next year. Yeah. One thing that it seemed like with the Uhari charter is they got down in a lot of games or, you know, would lose the lead early and they always fought back and you got to credit that coaching staff for the, the culture that they've, they've built it there and the toughness they've instilled in those kids that, and whether we score first or not, or get down early that, you know, we, we can win a game and they've done that and they got, got some good pitching performances as well. When we talk about, you know, what, what builds a champion and we kind of saw it in all four games or all four series, you know, can you play from ahead? When you have somebody down, can you stick your foot on their throat and keep them down? Can you play in tight games? Or are you going to wilt? Are you going to are you going to bend over? Are you going to are you going to give the game somehow, some way, give the opposing team chances to to get out of a tight game and and take a lead? And then can I finish games? You know whether whether it is putting a big a big inning together to make it a blowout or getting into my bullpen and getting those last three outs. Um, you know we saw Wes Henderson wins two to one, but they also won six to two. We saw the ten zero game in game one Wake Forest. And we saw them down 3-0 in game three and come back. Um, you know, Burns has the one inning, 6-1. You know, then, then wins 9-5. They had a little bit more comfort there because of their offense, but they, they got really good pitching down the stretch. And then Yari Charter wins a 2-1 to one game. Game two pounds out 14 hits to build an 8-0 lead, um, you know, into the seventh and beat Northmore there 8-1. Eight, eight to one. So um, four really good series, four very deserving champions. Um, and, and really eight great teams representing North Carolina in the state championship series. Yeah, it really was. The playoffs were exciting all the way through, and um, you know the series lived up to it, and that's uh, what we look forward to every year, and it's a, it's a time that, that those kids will never forget and those communities won't forget. Absolutely. And <clears throat> we're going to move forward. One of the things that came to mind as I was watching those, especially the doubleheader that was played in the 4A state championship and now we're going to get ready to talk about summer tournaments, the NPI, guys being able to bounce back as hydration, Matt. Um, and we understand being around players. We understand as coaches how important hydration is in the recovery and the ability for these guys to play at their top uh, performance level as, as many days as possible. And while it may not be possible to peak every single day, it's different when we're asking players that now have been playing on Tuesdays and Fridays to now play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and possibly two games on Saturday, Sunday, three games on Monday maybe. It's a different world. And, uh, and, working to stay, um, and working to stay hydrated, you know, we would suggest liquid IV. You know, it's a, um, a, a 16 ounces of water. You add in liquid IV and it hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. So Liquid IV puts you in a position where it's a little bit more natural. It's, it's, it's going to get you that hydration level faster than what some of the other things on the market. Um, 
by by using us and being a viewer of ours and, and subscribing and liking and you know we appreciate everybody kind of tuning in. You get a chance to get twenty percent off when you go to liquidiv.com and use your code PBRNC23 at checkout. <clears throat> That's twenty percent off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using your promo code PBRNC23 at liquidiv.com. Matt, ever been dehydrated? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, kids play on turf now. Uh, turf is hotter than grass. Uh, you got to prepare for it a little bit and uh, you get it all in one right there. It's better than uh, having to buy, you know, five different bottles of B vitamins and everything else and take them separately. You get it all in one with liquid IV. And water won't do it. I, I just, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have help these days and sleep is involved. Your nutrition's involved. Everything going in your body matters. Um, but obviously trying to tell a, a 14 to 20 year old, you know, that they shouldn't have the sugary product. They, they need to really, it, it's, it's a hard concept because they do have a little bit of that, um, you know, uh, Superman complex, you know, and, and I've, I've, I wasn't a great athlete. I had to kind of maximize who I was back in the day, but I've, I've had the dehydration hit and you, you start cramping and, you know, it really takes two to three weeks to re- even get back. So um, we recommend Liquid IV. If you get a chance, look into it. Uh, give, give them a shout out, liquidiv.com. And remember the, the PBRNC23 gets you 20% off. And that, that moves us into summer tournaments. Guys are starting to go on the road. I think the last week of school, uh, at least for my daughter, is this week. I think that's the way it is for everywhere. I've actually got the kids uh, by myself right now, kind of. I got, I got G-Mom and G-Daddy helping. Um, but my daughter woke up this morning because – She's our warrior, Miss Independent, and she's very worried that I wasn't going to get her up on time. I wasn't going to get her <laughs> teeth brushed. I wasn't going to know how – she's – I mean, she was worried to the point like she broke down and was crying, and I had to tell her. I said, listen, you know, I, I've run my own business for a while. I, I've I've prepped Team USA's pitching staff at a 90-player, at a you know, ID event – not ID event, you know, their, their uh, cut-down event, trying to figure out those bullpens – I can handle being at home with two kids for a couple of days. So, but yeah, she's excited about the end of the school year, but she's also in that point where it's a little bit nervous. I think with our older players knowing what's going on, you know, and having a routine, they jump right into the summer baseball routine. Um, you know, what are you excited about as we get into this summer um, and start to get to see guys play really good competition week in and week out? Yeah, you know, guys we've seen in, you know, have good high school seasons, see how they carry it over into the summer circuit. Uh, and then obviously with, you know, freshmen that, you know, may have played JV ball, you know, they get on some in some big tournaments and perform and, and ID in those guys and, and following those careers. And it all kicks off with uh, the best tournament of the summer with the MPI this weekend. Yeah, down at Lake Point and PBR's MPI trying to bring in uh, national programs at each age level and let those programs play it out to see – you know, not only champions at each age level, but which programs are kind of primed for huge summers as a group. Um, you know, from an evaluator standpoint, I love it. We get to see these guys compete against high-level teams right out of the shoot. But even as a, as a, as a team instructor, if, I, if I'd had one of those teams, I get to take four teams down there, and I get to see them play every day, you know, and I get to have my coaching staff around their game, plus, you know, maybe the older team, plus maybe the younger team. And we get to kind of converse, and as a group, this is how we want to do things. As a, you know, this is this is how we want the summer to run. Um, and so it's a great kickoff point. Uh, I know you and I will be watching the live streams and check uh, pitch aware. 
which is our app that does the box scores and things like that. So we'll be following all the action and trying to update. And I know with North Carolina, um, you know, numerous teams down there this week, numerous players down there this week. And the thing that I'm also excited about high school baseball, maybe it's two games a week in certain areas. It may be just one because they're worried about pitching depth and then, you know, they're maximizing it to some teams maximizing it three games a week. Well, now these guys are going to play, you know, four or five games in five days. You know, we're going to see some arms run out there that may have been a little bit shorter in the high school season. We'll see them stretched out. We'll see hitters kind of getting a little bit more of a flow, you know, and, and you can talk about it, it, you know, hitting on a Tuesday and hitting on a Friday, seeing a low end on them on the Tuesday and seeing maybe a pro guy on a Friday versus now there's a flow to the week. I'm, I know I'm going to get 30 at bats this weekend. I know it's going to get, be against solid pitching. You know, how does that affect that hitter? You know, the, just that flow, that day to day. Uh, the, the more you get in the box, the better. And, you know, you get in those tournaments and you, you, you see quality arms more consistent. And, you know, if you, if you see 90 every day, 90 starts to look like 85 and you're getting your eyes adjusted to it. And I also think, you know, in a high school game, you go for three on a Tuesday night, you got to wait till Friday to redeem yourself. Well, down there, you know, you go over four on, on Friday night, you're right back in the box on Saturday morning and get a chance to bounce back. And it's good for the confidence and the routine. And, you know, I think, you know, from, playing and then coaching and you see guys when they they first start getting in the box there's maybe a little anxiety or nervousness and heart beats a little fast and uh, the more you do it you know you lose that and you get a calmness and a comfort level and it it really allows your your prep and your work to shine through with what you've been working on and and build that confidence and and perform at a high level yeah i think that's a great point and one that pitchers may actually get because it is you know once a week or every fifth day or however your team's got it set up and you know, I, I can I can remember the anxiety of the first out. I needed to get the first out to get it going. When I, I was really in trouble was when you know we had multiple base runners on and I had not gotten a first out. So I, I had a I had a game plan for the first two hitters. This is how I'm attacking them. This is what I'm gonna do because I need to get an out in the first two hitters just to settle. You know, and a hitter, he's getting one at bat and he's waiting in a, you know 30 minutes and another at bat, and you know, but that that idea that the next one's coming. There's there's a calmness that comes to it. I felt that when I went in the bullpen because it wasn't going to be five more days. If it wasn't good tonight, I was going to have one day off. I was going to be back out there because we'd have a choice. You know, there's just not enough arms, especially in those summer leagues you go play in. You know, everybody had to throw. <laughs> so um, you can follow along the MPI, prepbaseballreport.com. And go to the tournaments tab, schedules, rosters. Um, all that will be there, of course, on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, all the guys down at Lake Point will be retweeting stuff that we see on the North Carolina players as we're learning more and more about those players. Um, and then Matt, you know, we <clears throat> are getting ready for our North Carolina South Carolina border battle into the month coming up. One of the premier events in the state, us versus South Carolina here in North Carolina, an event that drew about 30 scouts last year. College coaches um, played at UNC Charlotte, just a great day in terms of being able to get to see these players, get to know these players, put them in a workout environment, put them in a game environment, see how they adjust. Um, but the first part of getting to, to the border battle is some of our team trials. Um, and we had our, our first team trial in Charlotte last week uh, at Moore Park, uh, close to 40 players there. Really good roster. Sometimes the open IDs, you don't know what you're going to get. Really good roster. What you walk away with thinking um, after you know getting through that day and seeing some of that talent? 
I think I'm amazed every year we run those and there it never fails. There's a handful of kids that show up that you may have heard the name, may have not, but they come in and perform well and you're like, This kid's a college baseball player, who's this kid? Uh needs to be at the border battle or top prospect games and and you know, it was a good roster and it, you know, it kinda started with uh we started that day with the sixties and, and Gabe Murray from Fuquay goes out and uh runs like a six six on the lasers and you know, there's just impressive numbers from from there moving forward strong twitchy athlete and um actually thinks of himself as a pitcher first and it's kind of an interesting pitching <laughs> profile um because he, he's he's a little bit and help me with the name if you know it it's the the kid from tennessee that just got it called up with the angels uh ben uh ben joyce ben joyce you know 102 gabe's not throwing that hard yet but it's that same it's that same arm action it's early to the top he has to hold that scap load while he starts to work down the mound and then he has to, you know, he's going to be a little bit of an early pronator. So, you know, it's, it's got a chance to have velocity, but it's also going to have hard sink. Um, you know, he, he, he flashed a slider when we went to his arm side with it and he went, woo, that one was pretty good. But again, it's because it's not having to hold his core so long as he's going down the line because that arms up and retracted. He's got a hold because he's holding that for just a split hair. Like, like Joyce does. You've got to be really strong in your core to be able to then spin slider to the glove side. Um, but it's an interesting profile just because there's strength there and how twitchy he is. And he swung the bat okay. You know, you and I were a little bit shocked when you both told us he was a pitcher first, and then we watched the bullpen and went, okay, I, I, I buy it. Um, yeah. Let's let's start with some hitters. Um, just rolling through the roster and anybody that you kind of kind of jumped out at you as you're doing the evaluation on the hitters and looking at guys that – have a chance to profile as, you know, border battle guys, top prospect guys, future game guys, uh, as we're starting to fill those rosters out. Yeah, one guy that, that jumped for me was uh, Ben Green, 2024 infielder, uh, 97 off the bat, um, you know, really balanced in the swing, stayed, kept the barrel in the zone a long time, uh, put up good numbers. Um, Luke Sheets, an outfielder we've seen before. Got some physicality, hit some balls hard. Uh, we mentioned Gabe Murray, who ran well, took good BP also. Uh, catcher we saw in high school, Drew Krause. Uh, mm-hmm. First workout he's been to. Uh, saw him play. Um, you know, first time he had a good game. You kind of, you know, hey, did you just have a good game? Or is he a good player? You go back and see him again. He keeps doing things. And I thought he received really well. Uh, the swing's loose. Uh, the numbers will improve as as the as the – as the body gets stronger offensively, but I think he was up to 77 from behind the plate. Uh, he's a 2025 out of, out of Davie high school. Uh, Blake Gaffney, another 2024 catcher hit left-handed, uh, you know, drove some balls in BP, uh, liked his swing a lot. Thought he had a good day. Um, Evan Myers, a, a lanky outfielder from uh, Lincoln charter, uh, mm-hmm. hit, you know, hit some balls hard to his pull side. He was also, very interesting on the mound. Another kid that uh, when that body starts to mature, uh, I think he's, he can do some special things. 2026 20, out of Apex Friendship. Owen oh, uh, Sirasol, outfielder. Uh, good BP, a lot of balls on the barrel. Got some athleticism. Uh, and then Seb- Sebastian Rodriguez, uh, switch hitting infielder. Uh, we've seen him before. He had another good day. And then 2027, uh, 20, Kilby Hartley, uh, you know, shows up. Athletic kid. Um, good swing for for a young kid, and interested to see what what his future has in store for him. It, it really was. It was an interesting day because sometimes when we run these trials, 
and the open IDs, we're not we're not real sure how the talent level is going to fall. This one's during a school year. We had several players that were in the middle of exams. So we're trying to get them through their workout and get them out so they can, you know, do well in exams and finish their high school year up. Um, then you start trying to watch them and start trying to put grades on them. And you're almost like, okay, am I grading too high? You know, because I keep putting grades down that go, okay, this is a guy that needs to be invited to this and this got to be a potential guy for this. And we don't, always walk away with 25, 30 names at a 40 player event, but it really was, you're rolling through those names and, you know, there's several others on there that, you know, if you really go sit and watch the video, which we will, you're going to go probably should have talked about him. Probably should have talked about him. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, from a pitching standpoint, we ran all the dual guys that were uh, position players and then pitch, they threw first and it was a solid group. There were a couple guys that stood out there and you went, you know, okay, but we had five, I think, um, pitcher only. And of those five, I think all five I put college numbers on. And, and a couple of those guys just really popped off the chart in terms of they were physical, they were direct, there was arm speed, there was arm strength, and there was secondary. So, you know, in, in today's game, you know, we're going to watch the Super Regional starting tomorrow. Everybody's 90-93. You know, if you're not bumping 96, your fastball's a- average. Because everybody's seeing 90-93. So the difference maker now is can you spin it? Do you have top to bottom with depth? Do you have length with slider? Can you really throw a change up? Can you really locate? You've got to do something else with that fastball because the fastball is not just good enough anymore. So when we're going through these evaluations, arm strength is always intriguing because it is going to stand out. But then you come back to reality and go, okay, he's got to do something else. And, you know, some of these guys did. Uh, Jack Hedricks, Charlotte Catholic, 2024, six foot five, 195, um, downhill with ride, <clears throat> a little bit of a hump on his breaking ball with sharp 11-5 tilt. Um, he, he was an intriguing one. We talked about Gabe Murray. Um, all the way from North Myrtle Beach, Joshua, and I'm going to say the name wrong, Surigao, S-U-R-I-G-A-O. Um, that was an electric bullpen. I mean, it is – he is physical. It's broad, big, thick thighs, and arms and legs are kind of coming at you. There, there was zero comfort for me watching that bullpen. That's um, a tough at-bat waiting to happen. Whew. You know, and that, that was the thing we kept talking about. Would you want to hit against him? Um, and there, there was not a whole lot of it. Um. Mason Jones, six foot four, two hundred five, left-handed arm, physical, broad, um, had ride to the fastball, um, good side-to-side action on a sweep, sweeper or or, or slider, um, better than average arm speed, and again, he plunged out of the glove a little bit, long arm action, a little bit of a pelvic tilt, but he's doing some things that that were different than everybody else. So when we start seeing you know, the, these guys that get up on the mound and, you know, it's an average leg lift, they're level, they're direct, it's a medium arm action. We see it, we see it, we see it, we see it becomes almost like that arm uh, uh, Iron Mike machine from way back in the day. That's what everybody hits off of. That's what everybody's ready for. When I start doing something different and the ball starts coming from a different slot, now I got something else to contend with. So even if the velocity is not average to plus, I'm coming from a different slot. You've got to, you have one at bat to contend with it. Find where the ball is coming from. And you can talk about, I mean, if everybody's throwing out of this high three quarter slot, 
and then all of a sudden somebody drops down or even goes up higher. You know, what does that do to a hitter? He gets one at bat against him. And we think about what the Tampa Bay Rays do to guys. Every single arm that comes out of a pin is in a different slot. You know, how can that mess with hitters? Yeah, it's, I think especially if you're, if your velocity and things like that fall in that average range, then you really need something else to create a different look. And, you know, if a guy's throwing 95 and it's clean, it's much easier than a guy with a little funk or a little shoulder turn crossfire action at, at 90, 92. It just makes for a tough rat bat. And, you know, college coaches look for that. You know, you see a guy and the numbers may be a tick below some other guys, but uh, it, it creates a tough at bat with what he does with his delivery or his arm slot. And those guys have value. And it's, uh, it's sometimes it's good to be a little bit different or outside the box. And we think about, you know, it, it, the guy that's clean, that's athletic, that has the above average fastball, already above average spin, you know, those guys are going to go off the board a little bit earlier. The guy that's a little bit different, coaches may have to figure out how they're going to fit in their, into their repertoire. You know, one for us last year was Walker McDuffie, who committed to Chapel Hill. We saw him at state games. We saw him at an event, the DPC. We took him to future games. He is absolutely dominant at future games. I mean, it was silly what he was doing to hitters. You know, he goes out this year, and, I mean, every week we're doing our, our um, you know, diamond notes. He's punched 10 <laughs> to 15. I mean, it's just he's just throwing zeros. But when you go watch him, it's different slots. It's different breaking balls. The fastball's good, but it's not 94, you know, and you're trying to figure it out. At some point, you have to sit back and go, for me as a pitching guy, and I'm trying to evaluate him, I'm trying to evaluate how I would use him, okay, and and does he fit a need for our roster. But I've worked with some really good evaluators that were hitters, and you can tell me if you did this. Their evaluation on guys like that was what I want to hit against him. You know, I can put all these numbers on him, but the bottom line is I have no interest in that at bat. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to see him once. I, I don't I don't want any part of it. And it's not you know it's not that competitiveness. I just rather face a guy I know that I'm gonna see the ball off of. Yeah, for sure. I remember, uh, you know, facing Adam Warren in college and uh, didn't throw quite as hard as some other guys on that Carolina staff, but uh, the ball always did something when it got to the zone. It was just tough to square up. And you look at kids like that and you think, I don't think I'd want to hit off that guy, you know, and those guys have a ton of value and uh, hitters don't like that. And, you know, they get into college and they're guys that end up, you know, being an All-American or having success because a little bit different. You know, and they get outs, and uh, nobody can ever figure figure them out. Well, and it goes to to the way the game's evolved. <clears throat> you know, velocity used to be such a weapon, and, and and guys didn't understand spin, and we didn't understand how to attack guys at high spin rate. But we have all that data now. So when the guy shows up in college, and it's ninety two, and it's a high spin rate, we have an attack plan. As a coaching staff, we're going to see the top half of the ball. We are going to attack above the baseball because the ball is going to do this on you. Can we do something different that gets them off of it? If they can't do anything other than fastball, I'm out watching an event, uh, an organizational workout last night, and there's a, a college coach sitting next to us, and it's just, you know, we're guns on it, and it's firm. It's a good fastball. It's hard. My daughter's sitting with me who's six, and, and this college coach leans down and goes, what would you do with that? And she's been around it. And she basically turned and goes, well, it's just fastball. I have to start early. She plays <laughs> T-ball. You know, she's heard this once or twice, but she's evaluating it. Again, the evaluation part and watching what pitchers are doing, sometimes it's that easy. She eliminated. He's not throwing breaking ball for a strike. He's not throwing. He hasn't shown a changeup. He's just throwing hard. I just had to start early. 
Now she's yeah, obviously she's six. She's not getting there, but <clears throat> that mindset of how hitters now attack things, you know, the, the velocity being on the scoreboard used to be a tactic to, you know, Oh my God, he, how hard is this guy throwing? Now it's just a tactic of, okay, I, I know how hard he's throwing now. They've actually put a number on it for me. What, what do I care? Where I, where it starts to get scary is he starts throwing a pitch that's eight underneath his fastball first strike. And then when it's 13 underneath his fastball first strike from the same, same angle, and then maybe he has something that's three underneath this fastball. It's going a different direction. Now the bat becomes scary because I can't start eliminating pitches. I have to start really trying to, I guess, eliminate zones. And am I good enough then to carry and hit pitches that are across a, you know, a ten mile an hour spectrum? Can I? Are my eyes and hands that good? And and honestly, most hitters at the college level aren't. And that's why, you know, we talk about it, pitch, you know, pitchers, even if you have a good fastball or whatever it is, if they can't throw two for a strike, hitter, hitters are eliminating that right off the bat and you become a one-pitch guy. No matter how much break it has or spin rate or how sharp it is, if if you can't land it for a strike at times, you're, you're a one-pitch guy. Well, and one of the things that, that I've always tracked, and <clears throat> guys, when you're out watching games this summer, and you're, whether it's your team or your son's team or whoever, um, Watch what happens to a pitcher when a fastball gets centered. Fastball, it's a good pitch, it's down, bam, single in the six hole, right off the barrel. Typically, and I, I say typically, I'm saying about 70% of the time, that fastball now they want to get more fine with it. They don't trust that that pitch was a good pitch and the guy just put a good swing on it. Now I have to do something different. That wasn't good enough. I throw a good fastball, whack, foul ball pulled, but it was hit hard, 100 miles an hour off the barrel, just yanked foul. My next fastball, you will see them miss. You know, and all it is is being on time. And if I can be on time for fastball, now I've taken the pitcher and I've said, you do not get to dictate how this bat's going to go. I'm dictating it because you've lost your fastball now. I already know you can't spin a breaking ball, so I'm spitting on that. So I'm going to get into a positive count. I'm going to hammer something because you're finally going to go, we don't walk people. And, and then you're going to attack. The problem is it's 3-1. I've seen three fastballs already. I'm really going to be on time now. The, the better pitchers at the higher levels don't flinch when they're given feedback. Fastball, I located it. He hit it on the barrel. That's fine. That's my fastball. It is what it is. I threw it. He was on time. So now I'm going to keep doing that. With him, I may have to throw change up. I may have to show break him. i got to get him off fastball somehow. But I, I'm not never going to be able in the middle of a game to make my fastball better. You know, I'm, I hump up and go get two extra. Yeah, you only get two extra if you're you're throwing two down to start with. You can't magically find 94 when you've always thrown 92. You can find 90 if you're throwing 92, and then you can pitch at 90 and go get 92, but you can't go get 94. So that's something we always watch for is how pitchers kind of handle that. And when we've dealt with pitchers at future games or top prospect games and Really trying to encourage them. Hey, use the feedback. They're giving you great feedback, but you have to be in the zone to get feedback. Is your stuff really good enough to get swing and miss against good hitters in the zone? If it's not, you have more work to do. We talk about it all the time when you're evaluating games. Is can this is this guy's stuff get outs in the zone? And I think right. you know we watched the regionals this weekend, and you see some of those smaller schools, those those guys that you know lesser hitters, they get some outs in the zone, or they get a lot of chase, and then all of a sudden you go into the the bigger ballpark and a little bit tighter zone and 
uh, you know, don't get a borderline pitch early, you know, they start nibbling or, you know, give up a hit early. They don't trust it and start getting outside the zone. And, you know, to have success, you, you know, at some point you have to get out in the zone with your stuff. And the sooner you learn to trust that as an arm, the, the more success, continued success you'll have. We saw it in the regionals, you know, guys that have been pitching in the fifth and the sixth, maybe even in the seventh inning during the year, <clears throat> now are having to throw more strikes against elevated, elevated clubs, better, better offensive lineups. And so that fifth inning outing is now 3.1. So it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but my bullpen has to find four outs we weren't counting on finding. And then they're going to do the same thing to the bullpen too. They're going to – this guy's used to getting three to three to six outs. You know, now he got two. Okay, i got to find four more outs. You know, where are those going to come from? And, and how deep into our bullpen do we go? And that's where you can start seeing games really lengthen in that seventh, eighth, and ninth as coaches, those wheels are spinning just because they've used their seventh inning guy in the sixth. Are, the, are they going to get their ninth inning guy for two innings? Because then it's it. You know, there's nobody else behind them to go to. So I'm sure we'll see that in, in these series as well. And I think it's, it's one of the advantages a league like the ACC, the ACC, um, the SEC, you know, the, the Pac-12 to a point where they have is week after week after week, those offenses are really testing starting pitching. They're really testing the first guy out of the bullpen. You know, who are you? How are you going to get outs? And is it good enough? Because when you get in these these regionals, we're going to see it at some point with with maybe with Oral Roberts, you know, with Indiana State. You know, can they get through? Can they get through that lineup and trust their stuff to be the guy they've been all year? So the bullpen, you know, only has to work the same number of innings they've had to work during the regular season. Yeah, and you know, those a lot of those bigger clubs they have track men in their in their ballparks. So in inter squads in the in the fall, they'll. No umpire. If, if Trackman says it's a strike, it's a strike. If it's not, it's a ball, and they get used to that tighter zone and uh, a, a big learning curve there for some young guys early in the fall, and it, it shows up this time of year too. Absolutely. That's a great point. And on that, we're going to kind of wrap this thing up. Um, remember to subscribe, like, hit that alert button, let, let yourself know when we post. You get alerts and can kind of fire off and be the first ones to watch. We appreciate everybody that's watching. Again, hit us up if there's anything we can do for you. If there's any topics we're, we're mentioning or any topics we're missing, just let us know. For Matt Payne, I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast, and we'll see you at the field.